Hey, welcome to the Neighbors Church Podcast. We have just a super special conversation that we want to have with uh, our community and all of our listeners today. Uh, that's why we didn't get the podcast out Wednesday, actually, is we were waiting for this uh, time to get together with two dear friends of ours, uh, Tanika and Jason Wyatt. And this couple, uh, you guys are the marriage and family pastors mm-hmm. at Park Hill. Yeah. So yes. Park Hill is our sending church, for those of you that don't know. And this couple was one of the first couples that we met early on. And they are just some of the most beautiful people on the planet. They're so kind. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we have gotten to be good friends with them. And over uh, our time at Park Hill, both of them were in something that I was doing there at Park Hill for the church called the Leaders Collective. And as we got to know them and listen to them and all this journeying together, I just had such a depth of respect for your gifts, your perspective on the church. Um, And so you, of course, during the riots and during this upheaval are the folks that rise to the surface in my mind immediately. Um, Obviously, it's a podcast. Jason and Tanika are both African-Americans from L.A. area. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Why don't we start there? Why don't we start with your background, like where you guys were raised? And if you could, even talking about what was it like growing up black in the 80s and 90s? And what are you experiencing now? And then we're just going to see where this conversation takes us. Uh, We don't have a script right now. Um, I just wanted to get together with you guys and talk. And... um, in this painful time, I think the best thing we can be doing is having open conversations around how to bring healing. Amen. Amen. Um, well, I guess I'll start. Thank you first for having us, Dan and Alexis. We appreciate you and Neighbors Church and what God's doing in all of your lives. There's so much. You guys are such a blessing and an example uh, for us. And you've been a blessing since we've met day one. So appreciate you. Um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, or as we mentioned earlier, born in South Central LA. Um, I grew up, actually had a little portion of the 70s as well. Uh, so I'm going to take it back. Take it back. Um, You're a beautiful brother, Jason. You don't look <laughs> a day you, over 40, man. Oh, so kind. See, we're on a podcast. If we were... My handsome man. <laughs> He's right, baby. Guys, you guys should see this on video. <laughs> see what they're talking about. No, I'm just like... Uh, yeah, so uh, South Central LA, I am a PK. My father pastored a small storefront church in LA, right in the heart of the city. Um, we were a part of an organization there that had its its mother church and still in the heart of LA. And yeah, it, it was a blessing, a different time. There are times that we'd love to go back. It seemed like life was a little more simple then. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. Max and I, and yeah, you and I have talked about that a lot. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But uh, grateful for where we are now. Um, yeah, where do we start? I've actually been blessed to be born, raised in and around church. I was adopted at five days old by a beautiful African-American family. I learned this last year mm-hmm. that my biological mom was Jewish, um, biological father. I knew was black, just didn't know exactly who they were and 
So we're still in a, a bit of a discovery, but we've been able to connect even with biological family. But with that being said, um, I knew that God placed me exactly where I needed to be with Aaron and Lucille Wyatt, mm-hmm. my adoptive parents. They had me since I was five days old and, uh, yeah, introduced me to Jesus, lived the life of a believer before me the best of their ability, and, yeah, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me see. I met my lovely wife. Um, we went to the same church while we were, I was I'm a few years older than she is. Um, I was, was going into high school and she was just, you know, probably starting middle school. Yeah, that's, that's scary. Yeah, What's your age difference? kind of creepy right now. Uh, four and a half years. Four and a half years. Okay, well, yeah. we've got you beat. Dan and I are just close to six years. So yeah. when yeah. he was graduating. Wait, was... are you older though than he is? No. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Why would you even ask that question? Because I would be like, cool. Good job, Dan. <laughs> Uh, no, she reminds me often that I'm the one in the 40s, and she's okay. not in her 40s. True, I do not true. blame you at all. Okay. Yeah. We are not. We are not 40. Yeah. You are 40. Right. Yeah, Jason does that too. He's like, well, I'm not 40 either. He's like, I think they're our age. I was like, wait, who's I'm age? not, yeah. <laughs> you know. But yeah, I mean, four and a half years is a big deal when you're kids, you know? Yeah. So yeah. the when fact that I mentioned... 16, true yeah. yeah the fact that i mentioned i grew up in the 70s is really a point that's why you guys were laughing earlier it's like ah jason okay. you and i have talked what was it what was it like growing up because you grew up right around compton is that right that so was me that was my wife she was compton and i was in the heart of la uh if you know los angeles i was kind of midways between the form and the coliseum yeah so right smack in the middle of south central la and uh, yeah, predominantly African American in my population, a good mix of Latinos. All of that area historically was was white. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, you know, through through years of of um, change, um, began to be you know predominantly African American. So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of tension from um, a race standpoint. You know, I certainly remember the 92, 93 time frame where we had the Rodney King riots. I was in college at the yeah, time. The LA, mm-hmm. the LA riots, I should say, that actually started due to the, the Rodney King issue. But there were things that were happening before that time, you know. Yeah. Um, just throughout the area. I think that's yeah, always ahead. the case. You know, when you have riots and you have protests, it's never about one incident. Right. That one incident is the culmination. It's the buildup of so many other frustrations, so many things. And um, L.A. riots in particular, you know, <clears throat> we were talking about this. Everybody's ta- uh, mentioned Will Smith's um, quote about, you know, um, this is not new. It's just being filmed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I think Rodney King's beating by L.A. cops was the very first mm-hmm. filming. You know, they were not aware that they were being filmed. I think it was caught on camera by some nearby store yep. cameras or yep. things like that. And so the fact that they they were, were unaware that what they did was caught on tape mm-hmm. and they went back to the precinct like nothing had ever happened, filed regular paperwork and then it all came out, you know, what, what had happened. And so the riots, um, at the same time, there was this um, 
black and Korean issue that was building up right. as well um, between shop owners and <clears throat> residents of the city. Right. And then when um, when those police officers who were charged were not convicted, everything came to a head. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so we were both in college at the time. I think I was like ending my first year um, right at USC. So in the heart of Los Angeles, Jason, you were um, just about a, to finish at Azusa yeah, Pacific. Yeah, you were at Azusa Pacific. So you were about 30 miles away. Right. Um, but still very much, you know, had boots on the ground in LA because that's where your family was and where you lived um you know outside of school but and it's interesting it was it was so volatile that my mom it was around the time of her birthday at the end of april um she didn't even want me to come home too dangerous yeah things were just a little too crazy you know you guys i this is something that's so important in this conversation that um the the issue with rioting Um, people do not understand. Tanika, thank you so much for sharing what you just shared. Mm -hmm. The rioting is the culmination of patterns of injustice and anger. And I'm, I'm speaking frankly right now and forthrightly. So my friends raised in Los Angeles, uh, raised in, in black communities, Jason, you and I have talked about how you avoided the gang situations for most of your life. And, um, me, on the other hand, I was raised literally in southern Idaho, where I think there was one black man in Boise, two mm. hours away. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> I remember. Wow. I, and so the race thing right. for me um, was, it, in my mind, it was non-existent. There was the Hispanic migrant workers. There was a huge level of, of um, racism in that sense. And my mind never even went this way. And it was about seven years ago. Um, with the Facebook videos that started coming out, I had black pastor friends. And for the first time, I started hearing stories. And I'm not kidding, you guys. For the first time, as a white guy, I was like, "What? this is happening? And I think that's what's so important about this conversation for still a huge chunk of the white community is... um, a level of, I don't want to say it's intentional ignorance, but there is. There's, there's a level of naivete. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we're seeing right now is this boiling point. And with social media and with Instagram and with videos that go viral in an instant, um, we're finally all being awakened to this horrific pain. Yeah. I think, Tanika, it'd be great to hear from you, too, hearing your story, because it just continues to build um, context, and it continues to build for um, all of us who are having this conversation and listening. Um, It's good to hear stories, um, and it helps. Hearing stories brings humanness to, um, to everyone. You realize they're an image bearer. They have a story. They have this life they've lived and there's power in that hearing someone's story. And so I'd love to hear your context too and how you grew up and, um, yeah, your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Linwood, California, which is, um, a neighboring city to Compton and everybody knows about Compton, at least from movies, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And it's very much known for gang violence, drug abuse, and, and just that kind of, you know, bloods and crips and things like that. Um, and, and yeah, I definitely had um, cousins who were involved in gang activity, and it was not anything that was foreign to us. Um, but at the same time, I remember um, a college friend of Jason's who happened to be a white guy. Um, he's a close friend of both of ours. We were as adults driving through Los Angeles and um, we were in the Compton area and he was like, wait a minute, this is Compton. And there's beautiful people there, beautiful houses there. Right. So yes, of course the Compton that everybody knows um, is gang violence. You know, don't wear a certain color, don't go out at a certain time. But at the same time, even today, you know, you had, um, you know, Miss Smith on the corner who um, you could go to her house for, for food or if you needed something or just a, a community still um, of love and respect. Right. And um, the lady who had the candy store. In her, yeah. Yeah. You know. My grandma was one of them. Right. You know, she had the candy store. Um, and so you didn't have to go to um, 7-Eleven or to the grocery store. You could go down, to, you know. My my grandma's house, Miss Seaton, and you can buy, you know, a little soda pop and some, um, you know, some candy and chips and things like that. And there was definitely a community. Um, and and on that note, my grandmother passed away when she was ninety, um, and the the amount of young people that were at her funeral was like yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just a bunch of her old lady friends, right? Who who showed up and her family, but. Mm-hmm. Um, there was literally a whole community of people who showed up because, because we are used to having pillars in our community. Um, Mm -hmm. so much of that is tied to the church. It's, um, it's not as common today or a little less common today, but typically when we, when I see somebody, a, a black person, especially of my age, it's very typical that you were raised in the church, somebody's church. You have a culture of church because that has been a pillar in our community. That has been something that has held us together. Um, and I could go deep into that, just, you know, talking about our, our culture of lamenting, you know, whereas in, um, in my predominantly white church today, there's, that's foreign, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Yeah. I actually went to my old church this morning for 5 a.m. prayer because they do that as they have been for years, yeah. Amazing. for yeah. decades, because I knew... I could go and cry out and lament and nobody would be bothered that they would actually welcome that. Um, and so I could do that at my home, um, and I do, but there's just something about doing that in community with people who feel your pain when you cry loud. Yeah. Like not, not um, you know, metaphorically, but literally. literally. Right, yep. Yep. yep, yep. And that's welcomed. And so that is a part of our culture, um, growing up, you know, um, were, were there some dangerous areas? Yes. Um, broken homes? Yes. Um, drug abuse? Yes. And there's, it, it all is a part of this system that we talk about that is not designed for us to be quite frank. Um, it is not designed to, um, you know, for us to, to grow and to thrive and to, you know, we don't come, come to the world with so much, 
um, in our favor, but there are actually a lot of things that are stacked against you. So that, you know, for me, when I went to USC, my community was so proud, but we had no financial plan. It was like, oh, well, you know, we don't have any money, so don't we get like loans or something? There was no financial plan. Nobody was saving. We were just trying to, mm-hmm. you know, eat every day. And, and, and not that I was not taken care of. We were well taken care of as far as um, our basic needs. But, you know, um, the thought of going to a big college and, and making something of yourself um, was a lofty goal. And um, that in itself was success. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, to actually graduate and pay for it was a whole nother ball game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is why I later went to school as back to school as an adult because you know. Um, but anyway, that that's the the life that I grew up in with um, just this this conflict of yes, there's gang violence. Yes, there is. Um, so much stacked against me, but at the same time, there's community, there's the church that has saved me. You know, there were older people, um, taking me to church when my parents were not able to making sure, you know, taking, uh, checking up on me, calling me even, um, even as a college student, getting calls from elders in my, in my church saying, Hey, how are you doing? What do you need? What can we do for you? Um, so that kind of community, because we had, we have to be community because we can't depend on people outside of our community yeah. and, and can't even, quite frankly, depend on those who have been sworn in to protect and serve mm-hmm. yeah. many times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. With that saying, babe, our refuge was a church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How so? Because one of the reasons that we wanted to have this conversation was it's the church that brought us together. Yeah. yeah. This white kid from Idaho. You know, you and I going to a football game and hanging out with your boys, it's the church that brought us together. It's, mm-hmm. and there's something in my experience, um, the fact that you two are able to sit here in our home and we can have this level of a conversation is the church. It's, and in my mind, the only thing I have, I literally have cried all day today. Yeah. I don't even know why. I just, I keep chalking it up to my own personal issues. Mm-hmm. But then when I dig down, I'm like, I feel hopeless. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. When I'm looking at yeah. all of this, I start feeling super hopeless. Like, what is going to fix this? Yeah. And um, you guys go back to the church, the church being a redemption point, the church being a space and a place in the midst of those communities. What do you think now the church can and should be doing? Um, what, what, what do you want to do within the church in a time like this? What do we do? What are you guys wanting yeah. to do? So the church, the, the call of the church, the mission of the church, uh, the vision of the church has not changed. Mm. You know, since the Great Commission, it, it has not changed. Um, of course, the, the dynamics of the church within America, America history, America culture, mm-hmm. you know, certainly reflects that we haven't always followed through with the words that Jesus has taught. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, and, and I know we've all heard it, sometimes the most segregated places on, on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, across our country. And, uh, you know, we're certainly 
we, we understand um, one of the terms that I learned recently, if, if a church is homogenous, that, that's fine. Or, or maybe even if it, if it has one dominant culture, th- that's fine. But are we accepting of each other? Are we embracing each other? Um, even from those that desire to have a multicultural church, are you really investing in the life of another? Are you getting to know those people or is it just surface? Yeah, you know, do you have someone um, that doesn't look like you that's making decisions yeah. or that's helping make those decisions? Yeah, you know, um, are you striving to? And we talked about this briefly earlier to have your church look like that vision that we see in Revelation seven, mm-hmm. where there is is a vast number of people from, you know all nations who are before the throne. Mm-hmm. You know, are we working towards that? Yeah. Um, so the, the call to bring healing, the call to bring reconciliation, um, it's not an easy task, but we need leaders who are committed to working toward that. Well, I feel like you two are paving the way in the sense that, you know, Park Hill is an incredible community. I love Park Hill so much, but it's a predominantly white church. Yeah. And you guys are really paving the way. I've always seen you guys as such tremendous bridge builders. Mm. And I I feel compelled. The call for us. You know, at Neighbors, I literally pray every morning, Lord, we need a diverse leadership team. We need diversity. And there has to be that intentionality around it. I think that in the church world... um, what most leaders don't understand, especially white leaders, and, and maybe if you're just listening to this right now and you're not leading in the church, you need to understand white people have a very specific culture. And um, that cultural kind of normativity uh, is laid over everybody else. And where we, uh, well, like you were talking about just now, Tanika, you were able to go to a, a prayer event mm-hmm. where you felt like you could lament in yeah. such a way uh, that lined up with your culture. Yeah. And um, for myself, I just find myself saying, I need to go there. That's where I need to be. I mm-hmm. need to go to that prayer event and um, find myself outside of the cultural normativities, yeah. you know? I think what I, one thing that I love about, um, the scripture that Jason just referenced in Revelation 7, um, I believe it's 8 and 9, it's not just all people, every tribe, but it includes their languages. Mm. It's mm. not just all of us looking different and assimilating into whatever the dominant culture is. Mm. God recognized our voices, mm. our languages. That's good. Babe. And so to be able to bring, not just show up, to your church to be nobody wants to be the novelty item at your church mm-hmm. right i don't want to be like yeah we got a black girl mm-hmm. there she is look at that little token right <laughs> you know we don't want that no. right um and and what good is that to just show up and make you look good as a leader but we have to include people's voices yeah um and not strip them down like well you can come but you have to do what we do you can come, but you have to act like us. You, you can come, but you can't be too loud. Like, we don't do that here. Uh, you know, and so I, I hear what you're saying, babe, about um, 
Yeah, there. I think there is space for homogenous churches. I always think about um, some of the churches that I see that maybe um, are monolingual, like like maybe for immigrants, okay, mm-hmm. or for people who don't know um, the language very well, or this whole is culture shock. So maybe they go to you know the Vietnamese church, right. or they go to the Somalian church, um, and it's a good. Um, it's a good transition for them into mainstream culture. And so I get that. And they may need that sense of, of home and and that sense of feeling, but um, that should not be our, our, that should not predominantly be our churches. Mm -hmm. Our churches should reflect the community where we're in. And to that point. Yeah. And so I, I I understand if you, you know, if your whole community is white, then I'm not going to go in there and expect you to have, I'm not going to say, well, where are the Latinos at? Right. You know, because right. they don't live here. I, you, right. You don't have to bust them in. You know, we're not, right. <laughs> we don't have any quotes. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. But your church should be welcoming enough to where if you have a diversity of people in the neighborhood, they don't feel like they have to go across town 30 minutes to be comfortable. Amen. Yeah. They yeah. should be able to walk into your church and feel welcomed and feel like they don't have to dumb down their culture yep. to praise the same God that you serve. Yeah. I mean, we we serve one God. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that note as well, are you willing to take your church? You know, that may be in a in an area that's one specific demographic uh, of people. How much are you communicating with the church that could be? just a few miles down the road mm-hmm. yeah that's in an entirely different neighborhood mm-hmm. yeah you know are you working i mean we support foreign missions yeah. sometimes more than we do the church on the other side absolutely. of town absolutely yeah that's true. and something's wrong with that yeah. yeah when people are doing good work when they are doing their best to, you know with the help of the lord build his kingdom and yes the beliefs are the same you know you call them a brother you call them a sister in christ are you supporting are you are you being that bridge that that I believe God's called us all to be? Yeah, and it takes it takes that leadership in the church. I'm not speaking to the black white social injustice right now. I'm speaking to black and white leaders in the church. It really does take all of us having this level of conversation and intentionality. Yeah, and the reason I say that is I have a friend in um, San Francisco that I met through. Um, through seminary, he's a black pastor, he's in Oakland, and we had the race conversation one day in one of our classes, um, and he is he really wants to press into uh, a a level of diversity where he's at, mm-hmm. and yet he has grandmothers that lived in the civil rights, yeah. yeah, in his church, yeah, and this young black leader saying, hey. We need to diversify, and you have the matriarchs of the of the community saying, Mm-mm. "No, we don't." Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's yeah. a, that's a difficult yeah. reality, and yeah. but it's then you flip the coin, and you have the the whole the whole conversation around white normativity, white culture, white fragility, white the whiteness of the situation that we find ourselves in. That it's an aquarium that people swim in and they don't even recognize that they're swimming in it. Mm. So the church, us, yeah. we have to sit here and have these conversations. To I know the light bulb began to go off for me 
years ago talking with black pastor friends. Mm-hmm. And just even having a conversation like this, if one person hears this and goes, oh, there's some, this change needs to happen. Mm-hmm. It's why we're protesting. It's, it's, it's all of these things that are, I think, doorways that the Holy Spirit wants to use to move the ball forward. That, yeah. that was my prayer this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just see the ball move forward yeah. just an inch? Yeah. Just yeah. an inch? Yeah. Uh, you know, my wife mentioned, you know, the the necessity of, of lamenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to your to your point earlier about your friend who pastors a church in Oakland, I certainly experienced that myself being a PK when I traveled to Shreveport, Louisiana, with my dad for the first time mm-hmm. as a 19 year old, and as I mentioned, I'm I'm uh, mixed. Uh, so, you know, there were times that I grew up and my, my black friends thought I wasn't black enough. And mm-hmm. of course, uh, white people weren't necessarily calling me white. They didn't really know. They didn't know what I was. Um, but I could have been a mixture of, of, of anything. Nevertheless, I know that the race issue certainly goes on both sides. Um, I recall one conversation we had when he was lost. We were driving around in the city and... Um, you know, I obviously grew up in a, a different time than, than he did, um, different community than he yeah, did. Southern Cal. Southern Cal is much different from Shreveport, Louisiana. Right. But I remember when he was lost and there was a white gentleman standing on the corner. And I was like, hey, let's just roll down the window. Ask this guy where we are. And I got the quickest, no, 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 you don't ask him for anything. And I'm like thinking, this is a pastor, and like, come on, Dad, he's just a man. And but no, obviously tension. Yeah, and tension. I mean, to that note, there's obvi- there's a generation that's experienced a different America than the America that our kids are experiencing. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we need to be ignorant of that. But if we are working towards a better place to live, if we are working. And, and I will combine that with the kingdom of God that we should have always been bringing from the beginning, mm. especially for the life of a believer. Yeah. Um, how are we working towards tearing down those differences? How are we working towards being a bridge? How are we working towards understanding and, and lamenting with our brother? How are we weeping with those that weep? Yeah. Even in this moment. That's the piece that I've really been reflecting on. Um, and in just some of my, um, studies that I've been doing with Western seminary, um, this whole idea of the kingdom of God, which is already, but not yet. Mm -hmm. And we have this, this future hope, um, but that even though it's not here yet, so to speak, that doesn't mean we live these apathetic, lives right now, we actually, as the church, as believers, um, get to, through our love, through action, like bring that kingdom here. And yes, it's not in its fullness and we don't need to go into all the theology of that, but there is power in us as Jesus followers, um, bringing kingdom love, peace, hope, um, to the communities that God has planted us in. And, 
I know for me personally, that's where I've been going, okay, so what does it look like for me as a leader in a church, as a friend, as a sister, as someone who lives in San Diego, what does this look like for me um, to bring God's kingdom here? And then even just throwing this in there too, talking about our kids, you know, Mm -hmm. Jason, you talking about even our kids experiencing something different than what your, your parents did. And I'm thinking of all of our kids right now out protesting. And it's like, I know for Sophia, um, and not trying to speak too much on her behalf. I know what I'll share is okay, but she, she feels so compelled to, I need to be there. This is my way of, of acting and standing with my, my friends and my brothers and sisters. Um, I do think it's amazing too that, you know, that how old is Jordan? 17? Yeah. 17. So They're both 17. Yeah. Both yeah. They're almost both, a few days apart. Yeah. Both, <laughs> both of our girls, both of our girls are 17. Jordan is like a permanent fixture in our home. It feels like sometimes <laughs> she's, she's become our fourth kid. The girls have this thing where they're like every day they have to FaceTime. And so they have this streak. Literally <laughs> it's every streak. day. Uh-huh. Right. I and think I, Tanika and I have a streak because the girls have right. a streak. <laughs> <laughs> I just find myself reflecting on m- m- on my childhood and thinking about what I was raised in and then looking at our kids. Yeah. What, how are you guys, how are you guys having conversations with Jordan in this time? How are you guys planting kingdom? And, and this is scary. Yeah. You know, the protest stuff, Sophia and yeah. I got into it the other night. We had a long conversation. I was like, okay, here's the deal. I want you protesting. I want to go. Yeah. All we need is one active shooter. And yeah, everything changes. Yeah, yeah. Right. And this is scary times. Yeah. And so how are you guys handling that? Well, I just want to rewind just for a moment. Yeah. Because as Alexis is talking about the kingdom, I keep thinking of, you know, God, let your kingdom come. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right. Yeah. We pray that. That's what that's how Jesus taught us to pray. I think so many times, so often when we pray that, we weren't we don't necessarily think about God's full kingdom. You know, I'm thinking about my life. Mm-hmm. God, your kingdom come in my life. Oh, Tanika, this is so You know, yeah. my abundance, my success, my family, you know, but God's kingdom is so much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so oftentimes we pray that God's kingdom come, but we don't press in or we don't recognize it when it shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think what the the... The, what, the way we do that is not only do we pray, but we learn ourselves and teach our kids as we're learning that the kingdom is so much bigger than you. Yeah. Just like what Sophia has learned. She's like, no, I have to show up for my friends. She has realized that the kingdom is not about herself. Yep. Yep. It's about all of God's people. Yeah. And, and what can we do, you know, um, the the disciples were a mixed breed of people. Yeah, they yeah. were. You know. Yeah, babe. Um, it would be akin to Republicans and Democrats sitting at the same table following Jesus. You know, the Black Panther and the KKK following Jesus. Yep. That is unheard of today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That we would do that, and so although I think it is a, a different world than you know our kids are experiencing a different world than what our parents have. There's some unveiling happening that, you know, we we see where people of color have, 
you know, risen to um, some type of prominence. There's some type of success. We see, you know, uh, folks on TV and they're, they seem to be doing well. But what, what I always find so interesting is when things like this happen, when things are exposed that have been happening, you have people who are millionaires, who have fame and power. They, they feel the same pain. They are not exempt. Mm. I always remember the story of our former CEO of the healthcare, you know, CEO of the largest healthcare organization in the world. Um, he was a black man um, and millionaire. And he talked about how, you know, when he was in the penthouse suite of the corporation, you know, he was president, CEO, treated a certain way, had a certain level of respect. But he said, when I, when I come down from that penthouse... And I walk the streets of Oakland. I'm just like every other black man. Mm. Yeah. And and being just like every other black man, there's a stigma to that. Like there, yeah. you know, he knew that he was just as susceptible to being pulled over by a cop right. and being harassed or right. whatever. And so, the kingdom, um, it, which is what we are, I believe we are all teaching our kids now as we encourage them to protest, even though we're concerned and we're having the talk about being careful and make sure if you see this, like this is how we respond. And even though there's so much going on that we have to deal with, we're saying, you know what? We don't just fight for ourselves. We fight for our brothers and our sisters. This is God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. This is God's kingdom. Jesus laid down his life for the entire world. Yeah. And it seems like to me, this is an area where, again, the church has to repent. Yeah. And be on the forefront of this. We should be on the forefront. I, I, I have an acquaintance, um, Dr. Eric Mason, and this was another one of those eye-opening moments for me um, where he was talking about he, he had gotten his master's degree. Then he went on and got his doctoral degree. And he did all this so that he could bridge into the white evangelical community. Mm-hmm. We were at a meeting and he had a moment of frustration where he was just sharing the, the stigma that goes along with just yeah. having a different color of skin in the white evangelical community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, I have all these degrees. I'm a respected scholar. But when it boils down to it, some days I just still feel like I'm just another N-word mm-hmm. with a right. bunch of degrees. Yeah. Right. And I yeah. I didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so there has to be this, it's almost like a, a consciousness transformation. And it has to start with this awareness in the white community, speaking for the white community, that there has to be an awareness that the stigma, the 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 aquarium that we're swimming in, we have to get out of it. We have the church yeah. has to repent and be absolutely intentional about these things. And what I'm hopeful about coming back on the kids, like my kids in Seattle, we lived in South Seattle. It was one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the United States at the time when we were living there. And my kids have just been raised in this tapestry yeah. of yeah. color yeah, and Chinese friends down the street and Mexican kids and Asian kids and black kids just everywhere. And so for my kids, they're being raised in this swimming pool of ethnicity. And I'm hoping and praying that it's this unveiling that's happening right now, yeah. that the yeah. next generation of the church 
finds themselves saying, we made, we, we moved the ball forward. Yeah. Yeah. The ball's been moved forward. One of the things I love that you're saying, Tanika, is that whole idea of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. The expansiveness of that. I love, that's just, you know, you talk about, um, to him be glory in the church and the church, it's like we, uh, especially I would say American Christians have such a myopic, yeah. like self-centered view of the church. Right. So even our prayers are right. more self-centered yeah. and more mm-hmm. about us. But this idea that you're talking about in your kingdom come and to him be glory in the church. It's like, it's so expansive that we have to, um, get a bigger vision. Mm-hmm. Honestly, we need a bigger vision yeah. and not just make it even about our own local church or our church, the churches in San Diego, but it's like the church, yeah. this tapestry, all every tribe, tongue and nation. Um, I'm so moved to want to have more of that expansive vision yeah. and to pray those bigger prayers, not just my own, like my own life. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing that comes to mind, um, you know, I'm, I, um, sing and I'm, uh, we are very, she much doesn't into just music. sing. <laughs> She's being very, humble. I sing a little right. bit. She sings. <laughs> right. And depending on what community you're listening to, she can sing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. This girl's but, got pipes. Right. She can sing. Well, it reminds me of, and not, and not to, you know, necessarily promote any of the work that I've done, but, um, go just, ahead. Well, I've, I've been blessed to, uh, we've been blessed to partner with so many beautiful right. people, um, mm-hmm. different ethnicities, languages and whatnot. And so one of the things, um, I will, you know, just a little plug ethnos, um, Shout out. that was one of projects. the most profound worship nights we've ever had. Yeah. That night that the Eric and everybody was yeah. there at your place. Yeah. That was like the first time we went to Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. It was incredible. The Ethnos Project, there, there are three volumes, and um, the whole idea is to have multilingual worship. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so Americans do that already, right? We take a Hill song or a Bethel song, and um, and we translate it. But what, what Ethnos does is we don't just take popular American songs mm. and give it to, you know, take it south of the border and say, hey, here, you sing this. Mm. But we actually go south of the border and say, what are you guys writing? What are you guys experiencing? What what can you teach us? Yeah. And so, you know, um, in, in each of the, um, on each of the projects, there are songs that are not just translated, but they are written, you know, in their first language, right. um, you know, written in Zulu, um, written in Japanese. The Russian one. Yes. Was I love that song. It was awesome. Yes. You know, um, Armenian, uh, Russian, just, and so we Americans have this, um, you know, help us Lord. We, <laughs> we always feel like we have to teach somebody else. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, let me go and share this with you. Like you guys, um, you know, bless your little hearts. We just, we're, we want to help. We yeah. just want to help. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but, but really we go and, and even when we do mission work, right? I think anybody who's ever done mission work, they learn so much. I right. think we learn more than we teach. Right. And because God designed it that way, there's no way that you can spend time with God's people, you know, and not, be not leave blessed, not leave richer, not leave 
you know, with just new ideas and just this, this partnership. And so, um, I love that. I, and the reason I bring that up is because I think that translates outside of music, you know, what can you, um, I, I love, um, what a friend of mine said, everybody knows Nikki Lerner. She's, you know, culture coach. Um, but she mentioned she was, it was time for her to, to change doctors. And she kind of took a, um, you know, kind of took a view of her life. And she's like, who's missing in my life? She's like, you know what? I don't have any older Indian women in my life. Nikki's so awesome. I know. I yeah. love that. Right. Yeah. And so she, when she's going to get a new doctor, she's like, I want an older Indian woman to be my doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I just, I, I have not really thought about that. Like who's missing from my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and who's I just not at the table, right? Who's not at the table? Whose yes. language, whose voice is not being heard? Whose voice have mm-hmm. I silenced? Right. Because I don't, I have not given value to that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I don't need that yeah. in my yeah. life. Or I've just been content to stay in my comfort zone because I don't need it. Yeah. I'm yeah. comfortable. I don't need that. Yeah. It's extra. It's too much work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Diversity takes work. It Inclusion really takes work. Right. In fact, uh, someone said uh, a little while ago, I was listening to a gentleman by the name of Brian Loritz, oh, yeah. who, um, who talked about being a bridge. He said the nature of being a bridge is actually being stepped on. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, yeah. you know, this work of, of promoting change and um, pushing for a multi-ethnic church, understanding the needs of your community, being what God's called us, I believe, to be, um, it's not going to always be easy. But we know that it's possible because he is with us. Yeah, yeah I feel yeah. like every time I get into the conversation around diversity, it it always lends itself and leads to a place of cross-carrying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to give up. You have to die. Yes. Yes. You have to die. Yeah. So that something new can come up from it. But I'm curious... What, um, I don't want to leap to this because we are in such a season of lament and I, we're not going to leap to rejoicing Mm, or weeping right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what hope, what, what is the hope that you in this season are holding on to or looking to or, um, grasping? Because I think that that's been where I've been wrestling that sense of uncertain hopelessness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say, you know, with recent deaths prior to George Floyd, I just was venting and in all honesty, I was like, you know what? I feel a little bit hopeless. Mm. We've been praying for change, asking, waiting, doing what we think is right. But I just don't see any traction yeah i know it was so hopeless and then there's george floyd and i'm like god here we go again mm-hmm. and i don't know you know what god is just so amazing how he works um i don't know if it was just the perfect storm of everybody being stuck at home and replaying that tape over and over again of george floyd's death you know there was no gun in his hand there was nothing that you could explain away because this is not new. You know, we've been seeing this for years and years and I'm always, you know, just surprised at 
um, when my white friends are seeing this for the first time, I'm thinking like, do you have a TV? Yeah. Are you are you connected right. at all to social media? You know. Are you but, listening? Yeah. Are you listening? Are you comfortable? But this. Yeah. yeah. Right. We could not escape it. No. Everybody right. was at home, or on their phones. Like we weren't out and about. You know, doing our normal thing. We we had to watch this. We had to hear about it, and we could not explain it away. This was one of those times where you couldn't just say, well, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. I think that that is so crucial in the, in the Floyd situation mm-hmm. is it's so egregious. It's yeah. so over the top where you find yourself saying that, yeah, you have to face this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the hope that I see at the same time that I'm grieving, I'm so encouraged by the diversity of people who have shown up for justice. Mm-hmm. And I think people are showing up while still wrestling, but they're still showing up. Mm-hmm. I don't think everybody in the crowd is showing up saying, yeah, this has always been me. Yeah, I'm always... A-. I think people mm-hmm. are, are compelled to change. You know, because we talked about early on the the L.A. riots. That was very black and white. Yeah, oh yeah. That was very... I, I, you didn't see... You know, it was us versus them. There was no we are the world holding hands with yeah. signs. There was none of that. Um, but today is a different day. I believe that God is at work. Yeah. And I believe that God is is working. I, I've never had this level of conversation. I've never had so many white folk check on me. I love y'all. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, like grieving together, literally crying together. And one thing that I've I, I've continued to say as people check in on me and they say, what can I do? I don't say go protest. I mean, that's a personal you know decision Choice. that you have to make. You got to figure out what's good for you. But what I do say is I appreciate you grieving with me, but grieve publicly. Mm. I, appreci- I appreciate your outrage, but be outraged publicly. Yeah. You know, don't just kind of with your black friends say, you know, I'm really sorry, this really sucks. But, you know, be, as we've been hearing, be anti-racist, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, be vigilant and say, God does not like this. God is, God is displeased with us right now. Yep, yep. This is not why he died. This is not why he came. This is not what he has called us to. We have to do better. Even if we don't know what steps to take, even if we don't know what's next, we have to do better. We have what we know is we cannot continue that any longer. That's what we know. And so we come together, we have conversations. None of us are experts in racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. We're not. I mean, I, I, Mm. I'm probably looking at the same material that you guys are looking at, you know, and, and trying to get ideas and whatnot. But what I know is that when I have a relationship with Alexis, she's no longer just a white girl that lives down the street. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. She's my friend. She's my sister. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. what happens in her life, it, it, I have stake in that. Yeah. yeah. And so we have to have relationships with people, genuine relationships with people, not just of dis- different ethnic groups, but different socioeconomic backgrounds, like all of that. Yeah, we cannot. It's so much more. It's easy to do life with people who look like you, who are the same status as you. God's not calling us to easy. 
Mm. Yeah. And it's going to require, it requires intentional sacrifice. I just, I keep coming back to it. Not on, on the black community's part. I'm talking about myself as a white leader in the church. And I always circle back around to this every time in my head. I'm so moved, Tanika, even your earlier story about growing up in this community where, you know, you go to college and these people are calling you and just your experience of being part of the church. Yeah. And that connectivity and these like being intentionally like you're all one another had. Yeah. And hearing you talk about intentionality, that kind of thing. I'm just, I'm so moved and convicted, like, yes, this takes hard work. The intentionality, the pressing in, um, the, um, who is not at the table and going after that. Yeah. I think I have hope in this conversation that, um, this won't quell down. Right. You know, this isn't going to, I have that same hope. This isn't going to just settle down and, um, and go away. Jason, did you have any other last thoughts that you wanted to throw in just as we wrap this up? Yeah, I would just add to that um, just not to lose hope. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're comforted in the scripture. We're reminded in the scripture um, that even in a situation like this, and we know that all things work together for good. So believing that God can bring some beauty out of this um this terrible place that our country's in right now, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. hopeful, um, the same hope as a believer that we have in the expectant return of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We, we still are looking. We heard that he was returning. I heard that he was returning when I was a little kid by my grandmama. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I'm still waiting. I'm still, mm-hmm. so it, it's, I, I believe that we as the church can get better. I believe that he is still at work. I believe that he is still transforming us, conforming us to his image and his likeness. Mm. I believe that he will bring justice and make all things new. Yeah. So I I have that hope as a believer. And while I have that hope too, I I also act upon, because my faith without works is dead. I I, I am intentional about the conversation. Yeah, I, I have to work towards this. Yeah, the scripture I believe I was just looking at it, peeking at it. Um, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. So God help me. You know, we have friends in law enforcement, so we we understand that the tough job that they have. Um, we we have family in law enforcement, uh, so it's not necessarily you know a, a black versus law enforcement thing. But there are issues within our country. There are systemic issues within our country that we're hoping folks recognize, acknowledge, um, and move to do something about it. Don't ignore it. And that was really, you know, that was our that was our one hope from just sitting down with you guys and and recording this, rather than just going to dinner with you guys and having this conversation, doing this in some semblance with microphones in front of our faces, and that. No teaching, no step one, step two, step three, but four humans sitting in a room talking about Jesus, talking about kids, talking about pain, talking about intentionality in the hope that more conversations like this are pressed into. 
and that there is a, an awakening. You know, we've been praying for revival and awakenings and Amen. the circle of churches that we run in is, a, is really developing a massive prayer movement. It's really powerful. Yeah. But that awakening, anytime God moves, he does something new in it. And maybe part of this awakening really will be a fresh outpouring of diversity and a fresh outpouring of, um, of justice, real justice. Yeah. Amen. Real transformative justice. I think it'd be really good um, if the four of us could close in prayer. Yeah. And um, just pray, Amen. and then we'll and then we'll wrap it up. And so, um, let's popcorn it, and I'll close it. Does that sound good? Amen. Yeah. Mm. God, we thank you. Um, thank you so much for my brothers and my sisters. God, thank you for the family of God. This diverse, beautiful, um, as Dan mentioned before, tapestry of people. I love that. Love that imagery. Um, God, that you you have a way of expressing who you are differently in each one of us. Yeah. And when we stump out that light, we stump out you, who you are, just as mm-hmm. as image bearers. God, what we what we display, how we show forth your glory. Mm-hmm. Um, God, help us to make space for people to shine. Mm-hmm. Help us to make space, create um, opportunity, God, for people to thrive, um, to feel welcomed, invited, to be themselves. Um, God, I know you love your church. You mm-hmm. love your people. Mm-hmm. God, you said the gates of hell would not prevail against your church. And God, we have to admit there are many days we feel like hell is winning. Mm -hmm. But God, we thank you because we know that you are trustworthy. Yes. And we can depend on you. We believe the words that you have spoken and we cry out to you. Mm -hmm. We cry out to you because there's no other help that we know and we grieve together. Yeah. Yeah. But we cry out to you, Lord, uh, with one voice. And I just pray that you would be with us, God, that you would comfort our grieving hearts, God, that you would speak to us in our dreams and in visions, God, that your Holy Spirit would, God, just um, hover hover over us and, and come alive in us and give us fresh ideas and give us a heart for one another. Not just innovation so that we can look a certain way and, and meet certain quotas and feel better about ourselves, yeah. God, but I pray, God, that you would just really come alive in us and that your spirit would speak through us and move through us, God, to really be your hands and your feet to every one of your image bearers, anybody who's in our reach. God, I pray that you would help us to handle them with care and to be what, you would, what you've called us to be for them and to them and we just we trust you God and we thank you and we ask that you will forgive us yeah. forgive us Lord in Jesus name God uh, expand my vision expand my kingdom vision I pray that you would bring to mind who is not at this table mm. who is not represented here whose voice am I not hearing God awaken um my eyes um, awaken me from sleepiness, that I would be more aware. And I pray that for the church, that we would wake up, that there would be an awareness, a kingdom awareness of um, 
what's going on, uh, that there would be kingdom action that's taken. We have this hope, and I pray that we'd act out of this hope that we have, that we wouldn't be apathetic, that we wouldn't um, deafen our ears because it's hard work. I'm reminded, Lord, that um, you said to your disciples when you gave to the least of these, the cup of water, I pray that we would have that vision Expand our vision to you be glory in the church. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, you be glorified. Yes. Father, thank you again for the privilege of being able to come before your throne. Um, Thank you for knowing our thoughts from afar. And uh, even when we don't know what to say, God, how to say it, what to pray for, God, how to pray. Mm. Thank you for the invitation to come to you. So we look to you still, God, because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And we do believe your word, Lord, that you will perfect everything that concerns us. You'll complete the work that you've started in us. God, I just pray that um, you just have your way. Yes, God. Hmm. Have your way, Jesus. Yes, Lord. We prayed and asked earlier, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God, we ask that you would heal our land. Yes, Lord. Forgive our sin and heal our land. Bring peace, bring comfort to those that are hurting. God, let there be unity even within the body of Christ. As mentioned earlier, wake us up where we need to be awakened. God, trouble our spirits if there's something that's not right. Mm. Your word reminds us that your spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. Mm -hmm. God, we want to know your truth. We want to know you better, God. We want to love like you. We want to serve like you, Jesus. So have your way in our lives. Let it begin with us. Hmm. Reminded of your scripture, Lord, that just says that... um, Charity begins at the household of faith. So let it start even with us, within your church. In Jesus' name. And Father, thank you. Um, Thank you that we can be here with our friends and um, pray and be family together. Daniel would... Um, repent on behalf of his people and I just I'm sorry father I'm sorry as a church we're just so committed to our comfort so committed to our little niche life and this conversation the highlight for me out of it is this this kingdom awareness of awakening and that the kingdom is not my kingdom it's it's ours together 
And so I pray just continually and continue to pray, direct our steps as has already been asked. Take us forward. Move the ball forward, Jesus. Let there be real movement forward in our country and in our society. And more than ever, these image bearers, um, black men in particular, uh, protect and guard. Lord, the twistedness of, of racist hearts, we pray that you would bring healing. Um, the hardest thing I think you ever commanded us to do was pray for our enemies, Lord. And so we pray mm -hmm. for those who are mm -hmm. entrenched or willingly just burying their heads in the sand or mm -hmm. justifying or excusing or all the things that, that humans do in these uncomfortable and tentious uh, full of tension conversations and discussions and and realities god we just pray that you would awaken hearts awaken all of our hearts let there be shalom that reigns in peace um, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven so thank you so much for this time and we pray that it is uh, beneficial in whatever way you see fit in Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, shalom, friends. Shalom. Um, Amen. Peace be with you. Peace be multiplied.